Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. Thank you, everybody. Oh, it's great to it's great. Great to see you. Uh, and I was just thinking this morning as we we're sitting here, uh, uh, actually before the meeting began and and those who came early to pray over here in this corner. And Keith was sharing about the bride of Christ being made up of every kindred, nation, tongue and tribe. And I was just thinking about myself, as you can tell, uh, I'm a Native American and we like jewelry. And I, so I, I'm, I'm wearing jewelry. But as I was thinking about this, this jacket was made for me by a Chinese man uh, because he had received the gospel of grace and his life was transformed. And so he wanted me to have this, this traditional Mandarin jacket. Uh, this ring is my father's. It's made on the Choctaw Reservation in Oklahoma. My dad came to know the, the goodness and freedom of the true grace of God three years before he died. Uh, and uh, uh, it was such a joy to see him go uh, because for the first time in his life, he was not going to meet a fearful God, but he was going to meet the Father who loved him. Uh, and then I noticed on my arm is a, a bracelet that was made uh, by the tribe in, uh, in northern Thailand. You've probably seen pictures of the tribe of people where the women uh, put the, uh, the, the, the bands of metal around their neck. And as they grow older, they stretch their neck further and further and further. Uh, until their neck is hugely elongated. Uh, and and, and we we're able to preach the gospel of grace to those tribes and those hills. And uh, so this lady made me this little little bracelet. And, and those things to remember that what God is doing by the power of His grace is He's redeeming from every nation, every kindred, every tongue a people for Himself. And uh, one of the great things that's happening right now is happening in China. Can you put that photo up? Is that possible? One of the great things that's happening is in China right now. And when we go into Asia, uh, it's very difficult for us because uh, we have American passports and, and uh, we're under suspicion and all that sort of thing. Uh, but it's very easy for Asians to travel into China from different Asian countries. And so when we go over, uh, we go to places like Indonesia. This happened to be in Malaysia and other places where we train uh, Chinese business people. And we give them all of our materials, and then they go back home and uh, uh, do their business. But as they're doing their business, they're missionaries. And because of that, the kingdom of God is spreading throughout China. And to see those kinds of things happen and to know that that's what we're sowing into so that every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue would come to know the goodness of God, the liberating grace of God, and be a part of the bride of Jesus that will one day welcome the King when He returns. Amen? All right. I want you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to say hi, a special hi to Don and Barb too. And we've been praying for them, and I know you all have, and I went back and spoke to them uh, before the meeting started, and I said to Barb, you know, we've been praying for you because we know that you've been very ill and, and you need the strength of the Lord. And her immediate response was, you need to pray for him because having to take care of me is wearing him out. That's what happens when you've been married a long time, you know. <laughs> you, just, you just love the one who's given their life to you. Uh, and, uh, and Linda and I have been married a long time and we feel exactly the same way. By the way, because this is our last weekend here uh, for a few weeks, we did put out 
a lot of the product, a lot of the teaching that we have back there, the two books that we've, have been talked about over the last several weeks, God's Brilliant Plan, which is all about uh, the true meaning of biblical grace, what is the mystery of Christ living in us and living through us, and then God's Brilliant Cure for fear, shame, and condemnation. We will never have confidence with God until we learn to live in Romans 8.1, therefore there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus until we understand if our hearts do not condemn us, John says, then we have confidence with God. And so that's what that book is all about. There are the videos for those books. The uh, DVDs are back there, that sort of thing. And I have two brand new series uh, that have not been out on the table before today. One is entitled, Do We Really Understand the New Covenant? And a lot of that we've been talking about these last few weeks. And then the second one is, What Makes Grace Work? In our lives, the fight that makes grace work, the faith that makes it work, the motivation that makes it work and the celebration that makes it work. So you may want to take a look at that sort of thing. We've been going through the book of Galatians over the last few weeks. And so we want to take it a little further. We ended in the middle of chapter five last week, as Josh shared with us, uh, being free and, uh, and and built a prison out of four of us up here. And uh, we all four agreed to not take it personally that he labeled us as a prison that held you bound in bondage. We just, we're not going to hold that against him because we're filled with forgiveness and love. Amen. So we stopped at Galatians 5, 13. So we're going to begin reading there, Galatians 5, 13. And you, my brothers, and I'm, call, I'm reading from the New International, and you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful Nature. We'll talk about that in a minute. But rather, and here is the issue in the new covenant, serve one another in love. The entire law, the entire, say that with me, the entire law. One more time. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you truly set your heart to let the agape of God the divine love of God, live in and through you, you don't need a list of do's and don'ts. You will do what you ought to do because you'll be motivated by something far greater than your willpower. For the whole law is summed up in a single command. Remember Paul's writing primarily to Gentiles who did not know the Jewish laws. So he says to them the entire law, most of which you don't even know, but you don't have to worry about that because the love of God in the present, in the, in, the, in the person of Christ is living inside of you. But if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature for the sinful for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit. Now, that is a a, uh, 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 a kind of a dangerous catchphrase for charismaniacs. If you are led by the spirit, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be led by the spirit? And it doesn't mean. That the next time you buy a car, you're supposed to walk onto the car lot, put out your hands, and whichever hand warms up, 
That's the leading of the Lord. That's not what Paul is talking about. He is talking about something far greater. And that is the person of Christ himself inside of you, leading you how to live from the inside out. For the, now, uh, for, but if you are led by the Spirit, verse 18, you are not under the law. We're going to talk about what that means. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's a very interesting translation in the NIV. If we live, or since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. The whole law is filled up in this, fulfilled in this one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the way you fulfill the law of Christ, by bearing one another's burdens, caring for one another. If anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Not from God. Do you see that? Not from God, but from that nature. We're going to talk about what that means. It's important because sowing and reaping is in the new covenant. Let us not, uh, the one who sows to to please the spirit from the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The title that I'm working on today is We Are Free to Live Empowered by Grace. What God has done through Jesus Christ on our behalf is he has freed us from the rule of law. In freeing us from the rule of law, he has empowered us to live by the power of grace. Last week, Josh did a great job of of dealing with this verse that says in chapter five, verse one, for the spirit has made us free. It was for freedom that you have been made free. The question is, what was he talking about when he said you're free from something? What was the something that he said you were free from? Sin is a good answer. 
However, that's not what Paul was talking about in that verse. Sin is a good answer. We are free from sin. But in that verse and in that whole context of the book of Galatians, Paul's talking about free from the law. Now, why would we want to be free from the law? Very simply, because the law places demands on you, but it won't give you the power to do them. The law places a demand on you, but it gives you no power to fulfill it. So it leaves you condemned guilty. Are you there? The law demands that you live a certain way, but it does not empower you to live that way. So it leaves you guilty. God sets us free from the law, not so that we will be lawless, but so we will be empowered to live by a greater law. The power of grace. Two weeks ago, and by the way, like Josh said, if you haven't gotten the CDs, you need to get them all because they all fit together in a tapestry and it's very important. But two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that life lived by the power of grace will always produce a superior life than life tried to be lived by any biblical laws. I don't care what the biblical laws are. If you try to live by those in your own human effort, you will never be able to produce the quality of life that grace will produce in you. The law says don't kill anybody. Grace says love your enemies. Now, the law will not empower you to love your enemies. But the person of Jesus Christ living inside of you will empower you to love even those, Jesus said, who despitefully use you. The law can't do that. But grace does. Because grace is the power of Christ living in us and living his life through us. So we're made alive. We're made alive. We're made alive. This is what grace does. It makes us alive. Now, here's the dilemma. A couple of three weeks ago now, we were talking about chapter 3. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, it says this. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Paul says, if the law could have imparted life to you, power to you, then the law would have been good enough. But the law demands, but it gives no life. What grace does is it puts the life of Christ inside of us, but... For us to live in that, for us to enjoy that, for us to get the benefit of it, we have to make sure that we're defining it correctly. You hear me say this all the time, definition matters. Definition matters. If you use a word and I define it one way, you define it another, then you and I cannot communicate. So definition matters. When we travel in the United Kingdom, if they put our suitcases in the trunk, or if we ask them to put them in the trunk, They wouldn't know what we were talking about because they call the trunk the what? The boot. Now, over here, if you said to the uh, friend that's going to help you, hey, put my luggage in the boot, they would wonder just how big your feet are because we define that differently. Definition matters. We must define these things the same way they define them. If we're going to be able to believe what they believed, if we don't believe what they believe, we're not going to experience the results they they experienced. So there are two words that we get confused, and you can see this in literally every article that's written on the Internet or Christian magazines. There's this constant confusion between grace and mercy. 
I would guess with all of my reading that 90% of the time the Christian writers use the word grace. They really mean mercy. We say things like, well, I really messed up last week, but oh, thank God for his grace. No, that's not the definition for grace. You mean mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God he didn't fry you for messing up. That's mercy. Grace is the power to not mess up. Now listen to this verse. Write it down in your notes. I know you're all taking them, so write it down. Galatians 2, 4 and 5. Now listen, listen to how grace and mercy are used here. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, in this one verse, we have God's motivation and we have the power that did the work. God was motivated to save you out of his mercy toward you. But the power that saved you, the power that made you alive when you were dead is not love. The power that made you alive is not mercy. The power that made you alive is grace. Mercy is unearned love. Can we put that up there? We got that next one. Mercy is unearned love. Let's look at some definitions here. Mercy is unearned love or unmerited favor. This is what you find the, the word grace translated in the Old Testament over 240 times, and it actually is mercy. It means unearned love. But in the New Testament, grace is not unearned love. It is unearned power. It is the power of Christ's life in us. The unearned power of Christ's life living in and through me. That's what grace is all about. Now, we've talked about this before, and there's several sets back there that go into greater detail showing the importance of the definition. But here's why definition matters. If I'm just trying to put my faith in God's mercy, I am left powerless. I'm still depending on my own human effort. But if I learn to put my faith in the grace of God, then something begins to happen inside of me where I am empowered from within. And this is what Paul is talking about throughout the book of Galatians, that we have been freed from the lifelessness of rules and commandments we have been freed to live empowered by Christ himself living in us and living through us. You cannot do that under the law, but you do that in grace. When you walk in the grace of God, when you put your faith in the grace of God, you are empowered to do things that your own best effort could never do. And this is the contention that Paul continues to make. When we go to a doctor, it is one thing to go to a doctor who's full of mercy. It's another thing to go to a doctor who really knows what he's doing and has the power and ability to do it. How many want to go to a doctor who says, oh, I feel terrible about your sickness. I just, I mean, I, my heart breaks that you're sick. That'll be $100. Thank you very much. No, I want a doctor that says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you're sick, but the more important thing is you've made a good choice coming to me because I'm a good doctor. That's what true Christianity is supposed to be about. 
God says, I'm sorry you're messed up, but you've made a really good choice. I'm a good God. I transform people who come to me. You know, one of the reasons why the Spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit is because anybody who lets Him actually live in them will become more and more like Him. He is the Holy Spirit who will produce holiness in our lives if we put our faith in the power of biblical grapes, if we translate it correctly. Put up that next slide, would you? This is what mercy says. Mercy says, hug me. Grace says, plug me in. I was hoping for a better response than that. So that's okay. That's all right. That's all right. No, that's all right. No, no, too late. Sorry, too late. Yeah, I'll talk to her right over here. That's right. This, these two rows of young people here, they got, they're getting me. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And see, and this is what Paul's contention was throughout the book of Galatians. You're putting your effort in lifeless laws. The laws themselves are not bad. They just can't empower you to do them. So they're going to leave you guilty and condemned. Ah, oh, but the reality of new covenant grace is that God plugs us in to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want God to hug me. I do. The New Testament talks again and again about grace. We read in Ephesians that what motivates God is his mercy for us. That's what motivates him. But it motivates him to do something. To put the power of his son's life inside of us. So that we live by the power that's inside of us. Now, this is what the biblical writers refer to as the process of sanctification. And Paul refers to this in the book of Galatians, that we are being sanctified. Put up the next slide there about, about sanctification. There are three realities about or truths about sanctification that sometimes trip us up when we're, really, when we're reading the Bible. Here they are. Number one, this is a truth. We have been sanctified. There are several Bible verses that tell us that through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have already been eternally sanctified through the work of Jesus. But the second truth is also true. We are right now being sanctified. That is the work of grace in our lives, enabling us more and more day by day to say no to ungodliness. This sanctification is the change that's going on in our behavior if we're cooperating with the Spirit of God who's living in us. If we're walking in the light and being transparent before God, taking responsibility for carnality in our life, but putting our faith in what he has eternally done, then we're in the middle one. We are being sanctified. Now, the good news is no matter where you are in this journey, the moment you die and pass from this mortal life to your immortal life, you will be forever sanctified. That's where you and I have all been promised we will end up. Those three things are all true at the same time. You say, well, I don't understand how, how past, present, future can all be true at the same time. Because God lives above and beyond time. God created time. The Bible says one day he's going to do away with it. You and I are going to live above and beyond time like God does. God can see the past, the present, the future all at one time. He looks down on time. Now, this is a biblical truth. David says, before there was ever a day of my life, you saw them all. Before there was ever a word in my mouth, you already knew everything I was going to say. God already knows all of that, and he already knows what's going to happen in the future. Now, you need to accept that as a biblical reality. You don't want to think about it too much. <laughs> or smoke will begin to come out of your ears 
Because we're confined to a time and space world. But the Bible keeps calling us to see that which is unseen, to understand the eternal. And that's where we're headed. But right now, we are in the middle of this process of being sanctified by the power and the work of grace. Now, let's go to the next uh, next issue, and that is this. There's been a debate for the last 2,000 years since Jesus left and Paul wrote his letters. There's been a debate about whether we as born-again people, people who've been made new creations, have do we have two natures? Now, this has been a, a theological argument that goes on all the time. You go on the Internet and you see, yes, we do. No, we don't. Maybe we do. Possibly we do. Maybe we have three and a half. I'm not sure. You find all that on the Internet. <laughs> Whichever side of the theological debate you fall on, we, do we have two natures inside of us, a carnal nature and a new creation nature, or are we a new creation but just have the flesh in us? You know what? It doesn't really make any difference because the truth is, that you and I are in the process of needing and being sanctified. Whatever there is inside of us, there are two lives that are going on. Paul says, I live, but Christ lives in me. So whether it's two natures, two lives, whatever it might be, the reality is that there is another life in us. And what we're doing in sanctification is we're letting that other life supersede our life. That other nature overtake our nature. That other life overtake our life. Watchman Nee in his book, The Normal Christian Life, put it like this. Put the next slide up there. This is a quote from Watchman Nee's Normal Christian Life. We are learning to live life by the power of another life that is living in us. That's what the new covenant is all about. Learning to live life by the power of another life that is in living in us. Galatians 2.20, we talked about it four weeks ago when we got to that chapter. I've been crucified with Christ, however I do live. However, it's not actually me who's living. It is Christ who is living in me. Now when we come to chapter 5, we start talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are the character and nature and life of Jesus that is in you. If the Holy Spirit is in you because you put your faith in Christ, if the Spirit of God is in you, then the nature and character of Jesus is in you. The fruits of the Spirit enumerate those aspects of the character and nature of Jesus that are wanting to come, that grow up in you, overtake you, and flow out of you. And that is the process of sanctification where we're learning to cooperate with the Spirit of God. Now, this is where Paul says that we must learn to walk in the Spirit. Now, I'm going to give you several words. If you're taking notes, write them down. Because in Paul's writings, these words or phrases all mean the same thing. Paul talks about we must learn to walk in the Spirit. We must learn to be led by the Spirit. The New, England, the New International Version translates it, we must learn to keep in step with the Spirit. We are empowered by the Spirit. Romans tells us that we need to learn to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We must put our focus on the things of the Spirit. We have to learn to function in the Spirit. We have to learn to cooperate with the Spirit. Obviously, you're going to have to get the CD and follow up on these. 
And ultimately, we wrap it all up with we have to learn the process of interacting with the spirit who's living inside of us. Now, all these things mean the same thing. All of these are different ways of saying the same thing. That what the new covenant life is all about is learning to cooperate with the spirit who is living inside of us. Now, because God knows that we need help, God has given us a diagnostic tool. Actually, there's a few of them. James chapter 1 says that he who is a hearer but not a doer of the word is like a man who looks in the word as if it were a mirror and he sees himself. He sees what he's really like. But then he turns and walks away and he chooses to forget what he's seen. That that's a hearer, not a doer. Well, rather than looking at the Word of God, I was going to hold up a Bible, but this is my Bible. So rather, <clears throat> my Bible app, thank you very much. Rather than doing what most of us have done so many times in our life, opening this up, reading what we're supposed to be, realizing we're not yet that, and then feeling guilty, shamed, beaten up, condemned, God wants us to look at this as a healthy diagnostic tool. I go see the doctor and I say, uh, uh, Dr. Larry, I've been sick and I'd like for you to do something to fix me. And Dr. Larry says, well, tell me your symptoms. And I say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too embarrassed to tell you those, but I'd like for you to fix me. And he says, well, tell me what your symptoms are so I can diagnose the problem. I say, no, I'm too embarrassed to tell you that. And he'll give me a bill and say goodbye. <laughs> but if you want help from a doctor, then you have to let him diagnose the word of God. When the word of God speaks against you, when the word of God says, be like this and you know you're not. Because Jesus has already died and taken all of my shame, I don't feel ashamed. I'm happy that the Word of God is diagnosing what I now need to ask God to do in me and through me. Now I know how to pray. Now I know what to believe God for. This is a diagnostic tool. So in the Word of God, Paul gives us ways to diagnose, not for guilt, condemnation, shame, or fear, because Christ has already dealt with that on the cross. If we do what Joni said earlier, and that is believe the truth. The truth will set you free if you will know it and believe it. The problem is that we typically only know half truths. How many know the truth where Peter wrote and said, you must be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. How many know that truth? That is not what Peter said. That was, that, I'm sorry, that was a trick. That's not what Peter said. Here's what Peter said. Because the one who has called you is holy, you shall be holy. Why? Because he who lives in you is holy. Is that a threat or a promise? It's a promise. 
But when we only know half the truth, it's just that you better be holy. I mean, that's like going to the doctor and saying, Doctor, here's what's wrong with me. I got a cough and I got a fever. I'm hacking stuff up and man, it's really terrible. I'm aching all over. He said, Well, you better get well. That'll be $100. So Paul gives us in Galatians 5 a diagnosis. We have a, a way to diagnose. He talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Now, he does that not to beat you up, but to help you diagnose where you are. Now, let me say something here about the works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. Doing good deeds in order to get the credit and feel superior to others. Acting in selfishness instead of acting out of love for others. Feeding my carnal nature and my selfish desires rather than acting out of love for others. Trusting my own understanding instead of trusting that the Father knows what He's doing. Amanda, who helps run our ministry and our website and takes all that, our youngest daughter back in St. Louis, just posted another she does a little picture of me and then a quote from one of my teachings. And a couple of days ago, she posted a picture with a quote. And the quote that she picked was, I pray for what I think is best. And then I trust the Father to do what I would have asked for if I knew everything he knows. Get the CD. I'm not going to repeat it. All right. But it was really good. <laughs> but see, part of the dilemma is that the condemnation that beats us up about prayer is that we don't do it enough or we don't do it the right way. We don't say the right things. And all of those things become works of the flesh. Why? Because it's trusting in me rather than trusting in him. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we need to be very careful when we ask God why, 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 why? Because part of the dilemma of living in trust with the Father is that we're not going to know why, but we're going to trust that He works all things together for our good. This is part of the work of the flesh. I will reap corruption, destruction, disintegration, if I act in the works of the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Well, one of the works of the flesh is that I do not act in love. I act in selfishness. And they're enumerated there. You can just look at most of them have to do with not acting in love. If I do not love my wife as the Bible teaches me to love her, from my carnal actions, I'm going to reap a corruption of my relationship with my wife. And I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. When you get a chance, look up Romans 14, 17, which says for the kingdom of God is not rules about what you eat or what you don't eat. But the kingdom of God is living in the righteousness, peace and joy, which the Holy Spirit produces. If I choose to act in my carnal nature, I will not be able to enjoy a righteousness before God, peace or joy in my life. I forfeit those things. 
Now, the reason for that is because of what Paul refers to as the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping is in the new covenant. It's also in the old covenant because the law of sowing and reaping has been put into all of creation. God built the law of sowing and reaping into creation, first of all, because it is the only way to keep any kind of peace in a fallen society. The law of sowing and reaping says, if you go over and burn your neighbor's house down, you will either be shot or arrested. You will reap a result. You will reap a consequence. Now, that's not God looking down from heaven and saying, I'm really mad that you did that. I'm going to get you. That's not what that is. That is the natural consequence of your choice. That's not God's choice. That's yours. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Because on one hand, we freely teach that God put the punishment for our sin on Jesus. It pleased the Lord to crush him, to bruise him, and to lay upon him the iniquity of us all. On the other hand, in the new covenant, we are taught that the law of sowing and reaping still works. Now, how, how, do, we, how do we understand that? Well, let me give you a simple example. If you have a five-year-old child, you say to your child, don't touch the stove, it's hot, it'll burn you. Yes, mommy. Now, I'm telling you, don't touch the stove. If you touch the stove, you will get burned. Yes, mommy. And, of course, you turn your back and walk away, and what happens? They touch the stove. And what do they get? They get burned. You know what? Even a five-year-old would not look at you on the other side of the room and say, why did you burn me? Even a five-year-old knows you didn't do that. That's just the natural consequence of a stupid choice. Listen, I've sat down with men who've given themselves over to lust, who've given themselves over to anger against their wife, and they want counseling on why God would be so mean to them that he caused their wife to leave. So what what do you... God didn't do that. You did that. For if I do the works of the flesh from that nature, I receive corruption in my relationships. Oh, but if I diagnose that and say, Father, I see that there's carnality working in me. I take full responsibility for that. So grateful that Jesus died for the eternal punishment of that. But I want to live in the fruits of the Spirit, not the carnal works of the flesh. So I'm asking you to both wash my mind and empower me to live in the fruits of the Spirit. Then we have to end with this understanding. Now, when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the... What? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of a Christian who tries... Really, really hard. Love 
is not the result of somebody who tries really, really hard to love. <laughs> that will produce a work of the flesh. I'll tell one way or another. Say, what is wrong with you? I'm trying to love people. Well, you either look angry or constipated. One of the two. But when love flows out of me as a fruit of the Spirit, it is not me who's producing the love, but because the Spirit lives where? In me. It flows in me and through me. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's not my fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But because I am convinced by the Scripture that grace is the power of Christ's life living inside of me and living through me, Then when I make a choice that's a bad choice, when I make a carnal choice and I reap a consequence, I look at that consequence not as God being mad and punishing me, but I look at that consequence as the natural result of making a carnal natural choice. So I look at that and I say, Father, I don't like the results I'm getting. I would like to be empowered to make a better choice. I want to be empowered to make a better choice. If I will make a better choice, the spirit who's living in me will empower me to live differently the next time. The fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And by the way, the last one in that list is self-control. How interesting. That self-control, the ability to control myself is not a result of me. It's a result of the power of the Spirit in my life. It is a result of my acknowledging I have not been controlling myself. How do I know I haven't been controlling myself? Because I am reaping stuff that I don't like. So I use what I'm reaping as a diagnostic tool. I take full responsibility for it. I don't blame it on anybody else. Hello? If my wife respected me better, I wouldn't have to get so angry. Uh Yeah, and you, my friend, are walking in carnality. But you come by it naturally. You get it from your mom and dad in the garden. Adam, what did you do? It was the woman that you made. Eve, what it was the snake. Snake Nobody left to blame. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus keeps cleansing us. If we walk transparent, if we walk taking responsibility, every writer in the New Testament took responsibility. James 3, 2, for we all stumble in many ways. He wasn't pretending to be better. Paul, I'm not writing to you as one who's already apprehended all the things that I'm writing, nor have I become perfect in these things. But this one thing I do, I keep forgetting what lies behind and I press on the way. He fully took responsibility for the fact that he was being sanctified. He was not there yet. And when we take responsibility, and one of the ways we diagnose that is by looking at the results and saying, that is not a good result. That's my fault. But it's not a good result. 
so I can take the blame without being killed by the shame because Jesus already took that. And then I look to the Holy Spirit to produce the fruits that only he can do. They are not your fruit. They are fruit of the Spirit. They are not your fruit. They are fruit of the Spirit. They are not your fruit. They are fruit of the Spirit. But when we see carnal fruit, we must take responsibility and call it what it is. Then we must put our faith in the power of the Spirit who's in us. Now, right now, I'd like for you to bow your heads with me. And there are two things that I want you to think about just for a moment. Number one, if you're here right now and you have never made Jesus Lord of your life, there's no way possible that you can enjoy the kind of life we're talking about, although God dearly wants you to be able to enjoy the life of grace, Christ living in and through you, filling you with righteousness, peace, and joy. For you to enjoy a life of righteousness, peace, and joy, you need to surrender the ownership of your life to Jesus. And right now would be a great time to do that. So if you want to surrender the ownership of your life to Jesus so that righteousness, peace, and joy can become the normal thing for you, that's all you need to do right now is to surrender the ownership of your life to Jesus. If you believe that God raised him from the dead and accepted the sacrifice of his life on your behalf, and you turn over the lordship of your life to him, you shall be saved. He will come into you and begin to change you, filling you with righteousness, peace, and joy. If you're a believer and you're looking at some consequences of choices you've made and you look at those consequences and realize that you made bad choices and a result of that is you're harvesting a bad crop and you'd like that to change, this is where the mercy of God is so wonderful because the Father wants to hug you right now. And I mean that sincerely. He wants to draw you close to him right now. He wants to pour out his love upon you right now and wash away the shame that you might be feeling. Jesus already took it, so let him wash it out of your thinking. But he also wants to empower you by his grace. So as we sit here right now, you think about some results you've been reaping. Now's the time to take responsibility. Father, I made a stupid choice. I made carnal choices. I've been feeding the wrong thing here. And I don't like what's growing up in my life. So I'm asking you right now, because of your mercy, to empower me by your grace. Because of your love for me, empower me to say no to that carnal desire the next time so that I might reap something that is more beneficial in my life and the lives of people around us. If that's you, would you just raise your hand just for me? We just want to agree together. If you're sitting here and you say, you know what? I just want to take responsibility for some choices and some reaping that's in my life. Father, right now, you know these people's hearts. You know us inside and out. You see everything about us. Right now, pour out your love and mercy upon us, washing away any lie of shame from the enemy. But at the same time, we're asking you to empower us by your grace to say no to ungodliness the next time this choice comes around. To say no to unrighteousness the next time this choice comes around. So that 
we might be able to grow in our sanctification. So we might be able to grow in the fruit of your grace at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, we thank you for keeping your word to us. Amen. 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 And then we make it a daily habit in our lives. Amen. 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 Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.